The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, June 12th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. You can go ahead and make your way back to your seats. And as you do that, go ahead and grab a Bible or grab whatever device you use to access God's Word. Go ahead and open that up. And if you would, mark it to uh, two different places. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And then also kind of pre-mark your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 toward the latter half of that chapter, verses 16 through 21. So I'm going to begin in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. I'm just going to, I'm going to read that for us, and then after that I'll pray and ask God to help us with the rest of our time. Are right, you ready? These are God's words that Matthew is recording And a whole lot had happened up until this point. And in Matthew chapter 17, we read this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Pause. How how unselfish of Peter. None for Peter. Just you three. Verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Let's take a moment and pray together here. Father, I I just ask that you would open our hearts and, and focus our minds this morning so that your word will have its intended effect upon us. We we come to moments like this often. Um and it, it does seem routine. We come, we come each week, uh, but we know that you're doing something special in these moments. You're, you're providing our souls, our spirits with what we need to be your children in this world. And so we ask that you would do that now, that you would fill us with your spirit and guide us as we go through your word. May we love, honor, and obey you more as a result of what you will do in our hearts today. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Have you ever had one of those supernatural kind of moments? One of those really special moments where it was clear to you that God 
had shown up in a, in a miraculous or at least in a not-so-typical way. You ever had one of those? Perhaps God answered one of your prayers, prayer that you had been praying for, for months, maybe years. And he did it in such a way that left you with the sense that he didn't just want to answer my prayer. He actually wanted to do it in a way that would let me know, hey, I'm really here, I'm really listening, and I really care. And that's what you left the experience with. Have you, you had one of those? Or perhaps you've witnessed or even experienced a miraculous healing. I know many people have a story like that. Or, or perhaps you were just gathered together with other believers, maybe in a setting like this, maybe outside of what you would consider a traditional Sunday morning setting, and God showed up in a way that went, went beyond what is normal. There was just something special happening at that moment, and everybody at the gathering knew. I, I remember, this is years ago, um, and maybe at least 15 years ago, I was a, a college campus minister at the University of Richmond and VCU, and we were gathering at the home of some friends on Monday night. We did this thing I called Monday Night Gospel. Kind of took Monday Night Football, because we, we met at, at pretty much the same time, and you know, I called it Monday Night Gospel. Had a little football field logo for it and everything, but that, that's neither here nor there. But we, we were gathered together in the home of some friends on Monday night, and we were just doing what we normally do. We, we, we had begun, we, we had sung some songs, and um, we were in the part now where we were, we were going to have one of the students share a little bit of a story, a little testimony about what God had done for her, how he snatched her up and made her his own, how he broke into her life and saved her. And this young lady's name was Heather. It's not my wife, Heather. This is a different Heather. But as she began to share her testimony, something just happened. I mean, the, the presence of God visited us that night in a way that was atypical. I mean, God's always there when two or three gather. He's there in the midst. We understand that. But you know what I mean. Something was happening. And uh, right after the testimony, I would typically just read through a book of the Bible and we would study it together. We were in 1 John at the time. And I just remember after Heather had concluded sharing her testimony, I tried to read the passage and simply couldn't. I was so overcome with what the Spirit of God was doing in that room and in me. I, I literally could not read. I couldn't get through three words without weeping. And I mean, I know some of you will think less of me for that, but that's okay. That's okay. But that's what was happening that night. And so thankfully, I, I just said, Mary Hampton Cook, can you, she was Mary Hampton Elam at the time, but can you give it a shot and try to read? And thankfully, she was able to get through it, and we were, we were able to proceed. But something special was happening. And, I, and I'm sure if we went around the room, each one of you could share some sort of experience, maybe, maybe not, some sort of experience that we might refer to as a kind of mountaintop experience. But I also feel pretty confident in saying that no matter what you and I have experienced thus far, it doesn't quite live up to what Peter, James, and John experienced here. What I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is I kind of want to focus us on Peter. Not just because he's always the most interesting of the bunch, but there's something that God uses Peter to reinforce for us after he comes out of this experience and I want us to focus in on that to see what God not only wanted Peter to learn from this experience, but what he wants us to learn today. So that's, 
That's what I want to do. I'll put it to you in, in, in a few questions and we'll chase the answers to these questions. It won't be like in a neat one, two, three, but, but you'll, you'll hopefully get answers to these as we go. Number one, what did God want Peter to learn from this experience? Number two, how should that same lesson shape our lives today as Christians? And number three, how does it shape the way that we approach ministry here as a church, especially when we gather like this on a Sunday morning? So let's, let's start there. What, what did God want Peter to learn? Well, by this time, Peter, James, and John had seen Jesus do some incredible things. This is actually toward the end of Jesus' time with them. He's, he's about to go into Jerusalem where he will suffer and die and then rise again. And so by now, Peter had already seen Jesus walk on water. In fact, he got to try it out for himself a little bit, and he was doing just fine until, you know, took his eyes off of Jesus, lost his way a bit. But, but that's still pretty impressive, more impressive than anything we've done, I'm sure. Peter had seen Jesus walk on water. He had seen him heal countless people. He'd actually even seen him raise a number of people from the dead. But Peter had never seen anything like this. You think about all the stuff he's seen, but now they go up this really high mountain. Who knows what he's thinking? Why, why did he chose me to go up this mountain? But here he's going all the way up this mountain, this difficult climb. He's following Jesus, and all of a sudden they get up to the top or, or somewhere up there, and, and Jesus starts shining. His face shines like the sun. His clothes I mean, this, this Tide, Tide ought to find the rights to this thing, use, it, use this for a Tide commercial. His clothes, the Bible says, got just as white as light. And so here Peter is. Now, interestingly enough, all, all four of the Gospels, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll find the same story in, in all four Gospels. This story is actually in three of them. It's not in the one that John wrote. We have one from Mark, from Matthew, of course, and from Luke, but, but John didn't record this event for us. If he did, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would have told us who reached the mountain first. If he did, right? That's just John's way of doing things. But, but in any case, back to Jesus was shining. Jesus' face is shining, his clothes are shining, and, and, and then verse three happens. Look at verse three. It says, and behold... There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. They were talking with Jesus. What a moment. Moses and Elijah appear. And they're talking to Jesus. And then the next thing we hear is verse 4. And all of a sudden now it's Peter talking to Jesus. Now I, I don't know if Peter interrupted Moses and Elijah and Jesus or not. It would not surprise me if he did. But Peter begins to speak and he says, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make some shelters for us. Let's just stay here. The moment was so special, Peter didn't want to leave. And he basically says, let's just build some shelters here. Stay for a while. And who can blame him for that? You'd want to do the same thing, wouldn't you? But this is where we begin to see a couple of things that God wants Peter to learn from this experience. Far from simply having it and being invited into it, what did God want Peter to learn from this experience? And by extension, what does he want us to learn this morning? 
First thing, mountaintops, mountaintop experiences are great. They're wonderful, but we're not meant to live there. Mountaintop experiences are great, but as Christians, we are not meant to live there. We don't know if Peter interrupted Moses and Elijah while they were talking to Jesus, but we do know that God the Father interrupted Peter as Peter was talking to Jesus. And we know that because of verse 5. Look at verse 5. The, Matthew almost goes out of his way here to point out 5. He was still speaking. When, you, don't, you don't need that part for verse 5 to make sense and to tell us what's going on. God wants us to know he interrupted Peter. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter and the others weren't meant to stay in that moment, as great and as God-ordained as it was. And God wants us to learn that as well. By God's design, most of the Christian life is lived in the ordinary moments. In the moments after we follow Jesus back down the mountain, verse 9, into our normal everyday lives. Nothing extraordinary or sensational about most of our life. And that's by God's design. In fact, most of our spiritual growth and progress is going to occur through God's ordinary means of grace and the practice of basic spiritual disciplines. Bible reading and study with application of its truth. Prayer. Fasting. I'm going to say that one twice just for myself. Fasting. Confession of sin. And the regular participation in the work and worship of a local church like this. Not only for our new members, but for all of us. That is how God is primarily going to accomplish his incredible uh, saving work and sanctifying work in our lives. That's how he's going to make us more like Jesus. Again, he can, he can and sometimes does work wonders through more sensational moments. He does that from time to time, and that's wonderful. But these are not the usual means or the typical means through which he imparts his grace to us. And so as Christians, this truth should shape our lives in at least a couple of important ways. First, it should protect us from any false sense of inferiority. This should protect us from a false sense of inferiority when we compare ourselves to one another. When I asked those questions earlier, maybe you were sitting there saying, I, I don't have not just many of those sensational experiences. I, I don't think I have any of those. Well, well, you're no less a believer. You're no less a Christian. That does not make you a second-class Christian. And you're not catapulted into some special category just because you've had one of those experiences. No, in, in Christ, every believer has received the same forgiveness. 
Every believer has received the same gift of righteousness. We've all received the same Holy Spirit. We all have the same hope and the promise of eternity with God. Every believer, now by God's divine power, 2 Peter chapter 1, has received all things that pertain to life and godliness. And you are made complete in him. Sensational experience or no? There are no first and second class citizens in God's kingdom. The kingdoms of men have always found a way to have those distinctions among themselves. People always have a million different ways to divide themselves. I, I was out there in the foyer and I thought, man, we even got, we could divide ourselves based on uh, the bottled water you choose. We've got Dasani and Aquafina out there. Did you notice that? Go check. It's, it's, it's a thing. It's out there. But in God's kingdom, we don't do that. We don't do that here. Or we, we shouldn't do that here. And with God's help, we will not. This truth ought to protect us from any false sense of inferiority as we compare ourselves and our experiences with one another. And secondly, it should also protect us from being led astray by all kinds of strange teachings that blow through the church. Now, it's common. You've been around for a while, many of you. It, It is common in certain sections of the church to find fellow believers who have been led to believe that Christians and the Christian life should essentially be a string of sensational moments. You show up at 8.30 on a Sunday morning, you come, by now you're almost not really expecting anything spectacular to happen. You, you You pretty much know what's going to happen here. Now I think from heaven's perspective, it's, it's a lot more sensational than we might think. It looks routine. But, but some people have actually been led to believe that even here and now, our lives are supposed to be almost like an endless stream of sensational moments. And if that's not happening, then something's wrong with your Christian life. Something's wrong with the way you're approaching the faith. In fact, here, this is, let me read you a, a section from a book from the introduction of a book, I did not get further than the introduction. But this is a, a little excerpt from the introduction to a book that I, I will not tell you the author and I will not tell you the name of the book because I want it to be very difficult for you to find, in fact, impossible. But it is a real book, and this is what the author had to say as she, she opened up what she was going to say to other Christians. Few Christians today, quote, few Christians today look anything like the believers Jesus described. Jesus commanded believers to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and raise the dead. Are you a believer with these kinds of signs following you? Instead of experiencing God's power, you are frustrated that your prayers never seem to really be answered. Perplexed why miracles only happen for other people. And you do not see the Bible's promises coming true in your life. Well, this book, not the Bible, her book. This book tells you how to be that Christian who taps into God's power. Who prays prayers that get answered. And who changes the world around them. Don't miss your opportunity to hear God say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, simply because you did not take this opportunity to learn how to tap into his power. She goes on. 
I am about to unlock the secrets to grabbing hold of and tapping into God's power in your life. All you must do to experience this power, wait for it, is to keep reading. Not not the Bible, mind you. Keep reading her book. All you must do to experience this power is to keep reading. Once you reach the end of this book, you will be educated, equipped, and already starting to experience God's power in your life. 2018, I'll give you the year. Good luck. I wish you no success at all in finding that book. So many well-intentioned Christians find themselves being tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching that offers them a shortcut to a great experience and to spiritual power. As one of your pastors here, and I I speak on behalf of all of us, we, we don't want that to happen to any of you. Instead, we as a group of people, as a believing community, as a church, we want to major on what our friend Pastor Robert Green often refers to here as ordinary faithfulness with a long-term view. Ordinary, everyday faithfulness with a long-term view. In fact, I actually like the way this, this one gentleman put it in his book, and I will tell you his name and his book title. This is Michael Horton in his book, Ordinary, Sustainable Faith in a Radical, Restless World. I won't get into any of the spat between him and, and David Platt and how that all played out. I, those guys, are, I'm, I'm sure, are pretty good friends. But in any case, Michael Horton was just reminding on the heels of David Platt's very helpful book, Radical, he was reminding the church of some of the value also in the more ordinary side of life. So whereas our friend David Platt called people rightly to a radical devotion to Christ in his book, Michael Horton said, let me... Let me emphasize the other side of this for believers just to balance things out. And I love one of the things that he said there because this is where so many of us find ourselves. He said this, I suspect that for me, getting up and doing the dishes when I'm short on sleep and patience is far more costly and necessitates more of a revolution in my heart than some of the more outwardly risky ways that I've lived in the past. And so this is what I need now. The courage to face an ordinary day, an afternoon with a colicky baby where I'm probably going to snap at my two-year-old and get annoyed with my noisy neighbor. I need the courage to face that ordinary day, he says, quote, without despair. The bravery that it takes to believe that a small life is still a meaningful life and the grace to know that even when I've done nothing that is powerful or bold or even interesting, that the Lord notices me and is fond of me and that that is enough, end quote. When you're changing diapers, this is the normal Christian life. As you over and over and over again love Correct. Do everything you can to not strangle the blessings God has brought into your life, the short people in your home who not only send you up a mountain but drive you up a wall. This is where most of God's grace to us is going to be received 
and needed. This is where we live our lives. It's in the everyday stuff. The, the God of the universe came to this world in a body of human flesh. You could not make the spectacular look more normal. And that is always the way of God. He, he, he tends to do this. Yes, there are moments like where Jesus shines and he, he, he just temporarily takes away a part of the thing that keeps us from being able to see the fullness of his brightness and glory. But, but most of the time, the glory of God and the, the grace of God that we will experience will come often through our interactions with each other, through our moments with the Lord as part of a Christian community through solitary moments where by his spirit we enjoy the sweetness of fellowship with him, even, even just by ourselves there with the Lord. In the normal, everyday, ordinary, non-sensational practice of basic spiritual disciplines. You remember Jesus' first miracle? I, I, mean, I didn't even plan it. Jesus' first miracle, do you remember? This, or, or what we're told, his, his miracle at, at the wedding in Cana? He turns water into wine. Man, they loved that one when I was a college minister. They were like, oh, Jesus, turn water into wine. We won't get into that discussion this morning. I had lots of conversations like that with college students. But in any case, Jesus changes this water into wine. But do you remember how that happened? He, he tells some servants, hey, go and take those normal, everyday water pots and fill it up with water. Can you imagine being one of those servants? And you, Nothing could look more ordinary. Nothing could look less impressive, less sensational. Just filling these things up with water. And, and sometimes you and I are just filling ourselves up with God's word. We go back to it again. It doesn't look sensational. It, it doesn't look impressive. We're just sitting down. It, it, None of our kids is shining like Jesus was in this story. Nothing like that is happening. We're just reading God's word. We are availing ourselves of the ministry of his spirit through his word. And we're trusting that he will accomplish something through it. And don't you know that sometimes, as unimpressive as that looks, as you're just being filled with what looks so ordinary, you remember in that story in John chapter 2, Jesus takes some of that ordinary stuff that had filled that pot. And he hands it to someone else. They take one taste of that thing. And by the time Jesus was done, they were like, where did you get this? This is the best thing I've ever tasted in my life. So much of what you and I believe is simply ordinary and routine and mundane. The, the word of God, the, the way that God ministers to us in those quiet, non-sensational moments. I'm telling you, there are going to be moments, and you've probably experienced some of this, God will draw from that in a timely way and give it to someone else, and it will be the thing that overturns everything in their life. And they say, where did you get this? How can I know this Jesus too? And you're thinking, I, I was just telling you God loves you. I was just sharing a verse. I was just telling you something he did to help me. And that person says, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. What you just shared has completely met me at the very point that I was most broken. It was like the best wine in the world. Christians, we need to come to love our ordinary lives. We need to come to trust that God is at work 
in those moments. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful, but we are not meant to live there. And there's something else God wants Peter and all of us to learn from this experience. More important than any sensational experience is the practice of listening to God's word. Verse five, God the Father says, Peter, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I know you've got some ideas, Peter, of what we should do. Listen to my son. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter one. Peter never forgot this lesson, you can tell. Because here in what I call his last biblical breath, as Peter is writing his second letter to the churches, and he is encouraging them about the truth that Jesus will, no matter what it seems like right now, Jesus will return one day, and that ought to shape everything about their lives. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 16. He recounts this incredible experience, and he says there, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain." And where does Peter direct our attention now? Here was this amazing experience. This would have been the perfect time for Peter to tell us, now here's what you do to tap into God's power. Now here's what you should do, Christian. I've had an experience like this. Now now this is what you need to do. You need to try to chase and experience all those experiences in your life as well. That's what's going to put you over the edge. That's what's going to catapult you to Christianity 2.0. That's what's going to take you to that next level. Instead, we get verse 19. And Peter says, all of that experience served to bring this home. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For prophecy, rather no prophecy, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You want to notice a number of things Peter says here. There's a conviction about the word of God. There's a conviction about scripture that's guiding him that was more fully confirmed by what he experienced. But after that experience, he says, listen, Christians, set your focus and your attention on God's voice, on his word. Let that be your preoccupation. Let that be your guide. Don't go, if I were, Shelby, if I were to bring this back to the 1990s, don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to. No. Peter says, I want you to focus on the word of God. And he says, listen, I know people are going to come and tell you 
that you can't trust the Bible. After all, men wrote the Bible. And we all know that that means it's just part of the evil patriarchy and, and we're being oppressed by what it says. I mean, you've all heard that. I want to remind you that there is another view of the Bible out there for you to consider. And that is the fact that even though God did use men to write the Bible, God's mind is ultimately the mind that is revealed in the Bible. And just because God used fallible human beings to record what he wanted us to know, it does not logically follow that those words are untrustworthy. As my friend Demetrius White and your friend, Pastor Demetrius, likes to say, God can use crooked sticks to draw straight lines. I mean, none of us is perfect, right? But there are some things you can do almost perfectly. I mean, you can spell your name correctly. The fact that you're imperfect doesn't stop you from doing that. Why should you think it's hard for God to perfectly reveal a, a body of truth that is trustworthy, even if he chooses to use sometimes untrustworthy people to do it? This is not difficult for God at all. It, it is, that is no more difficult for God then it, then it is difficult for you to spell your name. And you're, you're all in at least fifth grade here, right? Now, maybe some of you are younger. That's fine. But you can spell your name probably. Focus on the word of God. For prophecy, no prophecy, verse 21, was ever produced by the will of man. But rather... Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That word in verse 21, produced, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. That word produced is, is the same word that you see toward the end of the verse where it says they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that no individual human being no man's private agenda or interpretation of events was the thing that was carrying the day when the bible was being written it was god's agenda and god's mind and what god wanted said that is what was carrying the day men yes spoke but they spoke from god as they were carried along by his holy spirit ladies and gentlemen that is how we got this book the other details about how it was preserved, translated, and that kind of thing, I'd be happy to talk to you about it and tell you why, after studying that extensively, I still come out on the other side with even greater confidence that this is indeed the Word of God. But ultimately, my confidence is in this. I believe what it says here, that those chosen by God spoke, but they did not speak from their own mind. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit of God. Every word of scripture ultimately comes from the mind of God. And so, and so, with that very same conviction, how, how does this truth shape the way that we approach ministry here as a church? Especially when we gather like this on a Sunday morning like this. How does it shape the way that we live as a church and approach ministry at a moment like this? I'm glad you asked. Quite simply, this conviction about the primary place and value of God's word in our lives determines everything else that we do.
Everything. Everything that we do as a church is primarily determined by this. I mean, I'm trying to think about the kickball game we just played with the youth. Even that. Even that. Everything that we do ultimately is centered around this conviction that Jesus is the unique son of God, that everyone needs him, and this word is completely trustworthy. The songs that we sing here can't simply be entertaining. They might be that on occasion. We're going to have moments where it's like, man, somebody took the roof off this place. But most of our moments will simply be singing non-sensational sounding, regular, familiar songs, or, or sometimes not familiar songs. This is Redemption Hill. But even if they're songs you don't know yet, they're probably songs you should know. And the songs that we sing can't simply be entertaining. Shelby won't stand for that. They have to be true according to God's word. Because we believe every word of scripture ultimately comes from God himself, we trust that nothing could be more important to set before you when we gather like this. And that's why it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Robert Greene or Shelby Murphy or Tim Abbott or Demetrius White or Raymond Goodlett or Mark Becton or anybody else who stands here, we're all going to do something, we're all going to do something the same. We're going to take this book. We're going to open it. We're going to find something God has said. And we are going to prayerfully try to explain what God has said. We are going to try as much as possible to emphasize what God has said for his original audience so that that same emphasis might echo in our lives and produce the same intended outcome. That we might be brought to Jesus Christ in our hearts, that we might see him living the perfect life in our place, that we might see him going, not just up a, a high mountain, but going up upon the hill that we call Calvary, that we might see him dying in our place on that cross, that we might see by the grace of God him rising from the dead, being put before us as the resurrected Christ so that we might know that everything which stood between us and God, all the sin that would make us condemnable in his sight has indeed been dealt with fully and finally and will never be brought up against us again in God's court. Jesus has forever dealt with the sin that would separate us from God and condemn us to an eternity apart from him. And we want to every single week take God's word, bring that out right in front of your eyes, the eyes of your heart, so that you might consider it for the millionth time or perhaps, perhaps maybe for the first time ever, really. That you, might, that you might for the first time really consider what this Bible has to say about Jesus and what it means for you. And for all we know, we have someone passing through on a Sunday morning, and this is the last time this person will ever have a chance to hear the only message that is able to save his or her soul. And so when you come here, you will hear someone doing what I just did and pointing you in your hearts to Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross and the hope that he holds out in his resurrection. Because there could be nothing more important for us to set before your hearts. And so I'm going I'm to I'm begin to close here with this.
just want to very quickly do a scan of the normal Christian, non-sensational Christian life that the Bible puts before us and calls us to live as we seek to follow Jesus. Luke chapter 3. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Romans chapter 12. Outdo one another in showing honor. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Again, Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Romans 13. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. Romans 16. Greet one another. 1 Thessalonians 4. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you have more than you need, share with those who need more than they have. When someone treats you poorly, treat them well in return. Never take revenge. Leave punishment to God and to the proper authorities. Pay your taxes and repay all of your debts and do it without grumbling or complaining. In, in fact, fulfill all your duties. Philippians 2, fulfill all your duties without grumbling or complaining. Husbands, be faithful to your wives. Wives, be faithful to your husbands. Children, obey your parents because it's the right thing to do in God's sight. Be content and reject all manner of greed. Don't steal from others. Don't even covet what they have. If someone else has wronged you in some way, don't hold a grudge. Don't let anger stay in your heart for too long. In fact, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive, especially if that person is a fellow Christian. Forgive him and her or her just like God forgave you through Jesus Christ. And remember above all else that we can never earn God's love or acceptance through the things that we do. For sinners like us, God's grace through the sacrifice of his son Jesus is the only thing that can make us acceptable in his sight. Put all of your confidence and hope in what Jesus has accomplished for you on the cross. That is the kind of thing we're going to remind ourselves of every time we meet like this. And so you will be happy to know as I close, starting next week, our friend Robert Green will be right back here in his usual spot. We will pick a book of the Bible and we will begin to go through that book of the Bible one verse and one section at a time, as is our usual custom. I will not tell you which book, not because I don't want you to find this one, We'll save that for Robert next week. Come back and you'll find out what it is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. 
And I trust that we've said enough. And, and so I just pray that you would seal what we have said this morning in our hearts. And now help us as we prepare to partake of, of your grace in a special way through what we call the Lord's Supper. For all who have put their faith and their hope in you, we pray, Lord, that you would cause these reminders of your grace, the bread and the juice, reminding us of your body and your blood, which was offered for, up for us on the cross. Help us to receive these in a worthy manner to consider what it took for you to make us your own and to commit ourselves again to lives that would truly honor you as we live before a listening and watching world. And we ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodland given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.